Green Sense Show is sponsored by CEA Technology, providing a sustainable modular indoor growing system. Visit CEATECHN.com to learn more. I'm Robert Colangelo, and this is Green Sense, where we bring you eco innovations that are changing your world. Michelle Nichols is Director of Public Observing at Chicago's Adler Planetarium, and she's back this week to discuss the full-dome immersive audiovisual experience of the Pink Floyd's Dark Side of the Moon album, and also give us some tips for viewing upcoming eclipses. Michelle, welcome back to Green Sense. Thanks for having me. What have you been up to since we last talked? Oh, gosh, we're getting ready for those eclipses coming up. So, yeah, yeah, just uh, planning for that. We did a little uh, outreach road trip to southern Illinois. Um, it's it's just been go, go, go. Well, you have such a wonderful job. Uh, what do you like best about it? Oh, gosh, it's different every day. That's what I like. Um, sometimes I get asked by reporters or students or, or folks. So so what's a typical day <laughs> at the Adler Planetarium? Like there isn't one. <laughs> and, and so I, I start off, I check my email, and then I, I, all bets are off after that in terms of what goes on. So yeah, it's different every day, and that's what I like. Well, most people are living Groundhog Day, so you really are lucky to have a different day every day. <laughs> yes, for sure. Well, our uh, longtime listener, Jim Barr, sent a question last show about setting up his telescope, and he wanted to thank you for your answer. That was very helpful. He's going to look out and seek some of those uh, uh, societies that you mentioned. And after seeing the Pink Floyd show, another long-term listener had a question, and that was me. And so <laughs> I don't know if you can answer this, but this has really uh, uh, caused me to ponder for a while is how do they navigate in space? You can't use cardinal compass coordinates like north, south, east, or west. I'm not even sure if you use up and down. Um, and uh, here on land, you've got a point that you can use to navigate from. But in space, how do you do it? Do you know the answer? <laughs> well, there, there's definitely a, a way that you can do, and you can use uh, other objects as landmarks. For example, um, the Apollo astronauts were doing some uh, navigation by checking the position of the Earth in where they could see it. And so uh, you can navigate by something like that. But if you're far away from Earth, if you don't have a giant bright blue landmark like that, um, one of the things that um, telescopes or spacecraft can do is use what's called a star tracker. And so if you point a camera at a certain spot in the sky um, and maybe you check uh, your the image that your star tracker is getting versus where it what the image that you think you should be getting based on your position or something um, then you can use that um, and so uh, if at least that might help to make sure you're pointed in the right direction, not necessarily that you're going in the right direction. Um, but in terms of navigation, that's all physics. And you need to know where you are, where you're going, and then you can do all the calculations to be able to get you from one place to another. And a lot of times 
your window of being able to do that is is kind of small to be able to get you in the right spot. But um, there's there's a uh, think of it as like celestial navigation, but in space. So, um, so there's sounds very complicated. It is complicated. Also, yeah, because everything yeah. is moving. You know, planets mm -hmm. are rotating. They're mm -hmm. uh, orbiting. They're yes. spinning on their axis, so it's hard to you know pivot. I I I don't know how they figured this out, but well, <laughs> here's the really interesting thing that I just I love to ponder this. I love that I love to make people think about this. When they launch a spacecraft to go to another planet, you're launching it toward a spot where the planet will be in <laughs> at the time that you get there, not where it is right now. So when we launch, say, a rover to go to Mars, we're aiming for where Mars will be six, seven, eight months in the future. And so it's 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 a it's a really mind melting thing to think about that. It's not actually where you want it to be until you get there. <laughs> and how, how precise are they or how, how far are they off in those calculations? Um, usually they'll do some adjustments along the way. So um, they, they often, especially with sending like a spacecraft to Mars or something, they'll maybe have two or three times during the, um, during the journey where, Oh, we need to speed up slightly or we need to, slow the spacecraft down just a tiny bit and so to make sure that that Mars is where you want it to be and how precise are they I'll give you the example of the Perseverance rover that landed on Mars a couple of years ago the area they were aiming for was a part a portion of a 30 mile wide crater so their their landing site was about six miles wide six seven eight miles wide something like that on a planet that is 4,000 miles wide. Over a seven-month journey. That's Over a seven-month journey. Yeah. <laughs> the way that I've heard it described is you're aiming, you're, you're launching something from a spot in Los Angeles, aiming for a particular window in a particular building in New York City and getting to that and getting to that window. Oh, by the way, the window's moving. So... <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, no dead reckoning navigation, and hopefully your computers never go down, else you'll be lost in space. <laughs> true, true. But the nice thing is, once you get going, as long as you were going in the right direction, you'll at least be reasonably <laughs> close to getting there. Now, if you need to do some adjustments and you can't do that, yeah, you're lost. You're going to zoom right past the planet or plow right into it, one of the two. Well, seeing the Pink Floyd uh, show made me think about those things, just how, how complicated it is to be in space, starting with your navigation. So let's get into it. I saw the Pink Floyd uh, Full Dome show. It was spectacular. So I've got a few questions. Uh, number one, how is that show projected uh, to give that 3D full dome experience? Is it a backlit screen? How, how do they do it? Now we've got projectors that are embedded in for in certain spots in the screen. So behind the screen is and the screen is the dome. So the dome above your head is a giant screen. And so um it's made of 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 fairly reflective material so that you can project onto it. Um and then a projector is only as good as the blacks that it can project and in space you want really nice, rich, dark blacks. And so we, we uh, planetariums usually try to get really nice projectors if possible to kind of create that illusion of being out in space. Um, as far as the 3D-ness, 
that's kind of all in your head. We don't project it as 3D. It's not a 3D show. You're not putting on glasses or anything like that. It's just that the dome is 60 plus feet wide and you're seeing this enormous image above your head. Your brain is trying to comprehend all of that and it kind of turns it into a 3D image when it's really not. Um, and wow. so that's that's a cool thing that I really like is we don't have to make it a 3D show. Um, your brain kind of does that uh, because this this dome is so big well to segue into that point without giving everything away there was a point where i was totally immersed in the show and i felt like i was tumbling through space i almost got vertigo mm -hmm. uh it and and that's amazing to hear that that was not a 3d projection because i really right. felt like i was in space and moving yeah um so you do that all through the graphics then yeah, it's all through the graphics and just uh, really high resolution projectors. So we've got 4K projectors, um, but we've got multiples of them. So you're getting it. it they're not 8K projectors, but you're getting uh, close to 8K equivalent kind of resolution on the dome. So uh, high detail, um, nice deep blacks uh big giant images it's all done through through the imagery and it's it's all computer generated well who produced the graphics and did the band have any say in the graphics so the graphics were produced by a production house in the uk um i don't know what their name was but, but you can you can look it up in the credits on the show you can see it it's it's not a secret but um the that particular production house has produced other planetarium shows. And so they're right down the street from the band's management uh, office. And so when the band approached, because it was the band's idea to do this show, I, they're definitely aware that planetariums have been doing their own Pink Floyd Dark Side of the Moon uh. <laughs> shows for decades. And, and all of those you could call kind of bootleg. <laughs> so um, this time it was, yeah, we know you've been doing this. We're going to produce something that we want. And so they approached these folks and went, hey, what can you do? And um, so they had some uh, footage, some uh, uh, material that they had as part of other shows but also some new stuff that was produced for this show so put it all together and you get the show that you got and yes the band absolutely had a say in this um they had final say in in whether or not this show could be released and so it was uh early march when uh they they saw it and went yep seal of approval go ahead and that's that's very gratifying, <laughs> I think. And I bet you those, those uh, producers were kind of sweating bullets a little <laughs> bit going, what are they going to think? But they loved it. Yeah. And when I was sitting there, it was very hard to believe that the album is 50 years old because that music sounds very contemporary and uh, very timely. What are your thoughts on that? <laughs> It's one of my favorite albums. I think at home we have uh, 10 or 12 different versions of it. And uh, <laughs> what I what I love uh, on Blu-ray and on CD and on vinyl. Um, and what I would love is this version of the audio of this show is the 5.1 um, high resolution audio that was released uh, around 2011, somewhere around there. Um, and so that's my favorite version. I think that version um, is just, the mix is just spectacular 
spectacular. And um, I, 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 I was so glad to hear that they had done that one, or they'd used that particular version. Um, but yeah, the fact that you can create a concept album where a lot of the songs can stand on their own, but you can also listen to them and they make total sense uh, listening to them one right after the other. It, that is very rare in, in the music industry to get stuff that can be listened together and listened individually or listened to individually. And it's impressive, still impressive 50 years later. And each one of those songs is a hit. That's also yeah. amazing. It's yeah. so good. And you've heard all of them on the on radio, <laughs> classic rock radio these days, I think. But <laughs> Without giving too much away, I'll tell you, I love the infographic of the, I think it was the Apollo mission where they were going to the moon and back. Uh, it was both informative and entertaining. Uh, what did you like best? I loved, um, there was some scenery um, going through Saturn's rings. I love yes. the I love the planetary <laughs> scenery, um, but when I when I finally when I took a breath after I saw the show because uh, we got to see it in the latter part of March, and when I finally sat there, I went, "That is the most planetarium planetarium show I think I've ever seen." <laughs> it's it's immersive and informative, but there's no narration other than the music and. <laughs> You're you're learning stuff kind of along the way without actually learning stuff, and so it's fascinating how they were able to to do all that and accomplish all that. Yeah, like I said, that infographic uh, on how the uh, rocket ship took off, it jettisoned the boosters, and then it opened the hatch. It took the module, landed yep. on the moon, took it up. Yep. God, yep. it was just so, so informative without saying a word, right? Exactly. You, you understood everything. Exactly. <laughs> you never get to see the full array of exactly how complicated the Apollo missions were, utilizing two separate spacecraft that actually launched in a rocket, but not connected. And they had to get out into space, connect, go to the moon, land part of it, have part of the part, come back up, connect that back up jettison some other stuff go back to earth get rid of some more stuff and then finally land and you look at all that and go who came up with this <laughs> who thought well, this was a good idea <laughs> well even there was a scene where there was a ladder where the uh, astronaut was climbing down on the ladder and there was a bolt and i thought even that bolt was highly engineered the, the yeah. engineering that had to go in everything in there yep you know people just take it for granted but that was quite an accomplishment yeah, NASA tends to use uh, purpose-built stuff, but they also use off-the-shelf stuff, provided it meets the testing requirements for the rigors that spacecraft will endure. So NASA doesn't necessarily create every single nut and bolt, but they have to make sure that every single nut and bolt can handle a launch and a landing and, and all that. So, um, yeah, they... they you could say they they could go to Home Depot and get some stuff, or go to Lowe's or wherever, um, but they have to make sure that that stuff won't fall apart in the middle of the mission. Well, since our first uh, uh, interview, a number of friends of mine and contacts contacted me from around the country, and they'd like to see the uh, show. Do you have a list of other planetariums around the country that are showing this, or is I... there a website that they can find that on? 
I believe you can uh, get that. You might be able to get that information from the uh, International Planetarium Society. Um, and I'm going to uh, actually uh, do a, a quick check and um, and see if there is a list um, because that is a fabulous question and I don't know the answer to that question. If um, not, you could send me an email and we'll put that into our uh, website. And, yes. Uh, that'd be great because that'd be because I've got people from around the country that want to see it, can't come to Chicago, but that is at a number of planetariums around the country. Yeah, we will try to get that information for you. And it's not at every planetarium. The, the band... Um, the band wants to make sure that it's uh, that the graphics are high enough resolution. So not every planetarium has the pro the projection capability to show it. Um, so yeah, we'll see if I can uh, find that list for you, so we can share that with the, with you. Well, I'll tell you, we went to the nine ten show on a Wednesday night, nine ten p.m., and uh, it was a very cloudy day when we got outside the planetarium. But when we looked into the sky, Mars was so bright. It was the only thing you could see, and it was with the backdrop of the Chicago skyline. I tell you, it was breathtaking. Uh, you know where the planetarium is that juts out right on Lake Michigan, looking uh, you know west towards the city skyline with Mars up above and a crescent moon. It was uh, fabulous. <laughs> yeah, it, that's, we've been getting a lot of uh, questions about what is that super bright thing that's been to the to the directly to the west, and so Venus has been that really bright thing. But yeah, Mars is up into the left of Venus, and you happen to get a night where we had a really nice crescent moon, and so it's just it's so wonderful that even with the light pollution that we have. I like to say the sky is not hopeless here. No. The light pollution's bad, but it's not hopeless. And there are uh, there are a bunch of things we can look at. And I know we love astronomy, but I got to give a kudos to the uh, man-made lights of all the lit up buildings because Chicago looks spectacular that night too. It does. I got to admit, we all love coming out to the Adler and looking at the skyline. <laughs> and it wouldn't be the same if all the lights were off. I know there's a bunch of people who would go, no, 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 turn the lights off because <laughs> we want to see the sky. Um, but, you know. Especially there's so many different colored lights. You know, it used to just be white, but now there's all uh, colorful uh, animation. Exactly. Well, last time you were not, well, uh, before we go into the uh, uh, eclipses, anything else you'd like to add on the Pink Floyd uh, uh, immersive experience? Well, uh, just a reminder that it will be playing at the Adler until, uh, as, as far as we know, March of next year. So um, it's it's a, it's a limited run, but it is playing... Um, Currently, uh, actually, by the time folks hear us chatting about this, um, it will run uh, the final show of the day uh, every day. So from Thursday to Tuesday, it'll be the, uh, I believe it's the 315 show in the afternoon. And then on Wednesday evenings, it will be the final show uh, of the day. So it'll be that 9:10, 9:15 time frame. So yeah, just check our schedule for that. You can buy tickets ahead of time. We encourage folks to buy tickets ahead of time, especially since there's uh, time periods of summer when we know it's going to be busy and it will sell out. Well, as I said, I was there at the nine ten show on a Wednesday night, and it was packed. There wasn't an open seat. So uh, 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 let's get into the next issue. And last time you were on the show, we talked about the two upcoming eclipses on October 14th, 2023, and April 8th, 2024. Uh, what programs does the planetarium have to 
offer to enjoy these two experiences? Well, we're going to have a, a public event for both of those. So the October 14th, 2023 eclipse will feature the moon covering a little under 50% of the sun, uh, which is pretty impressive amount. Um, and so we'll have telescopes outside uh, while, while that eclipse is happening. So it'll start at about 1037 in the morning and it'll go to 122 in the afternoon. So during that time period is when we'll be able to see a little or more of the sun covered by the moon with the peak being uh, right around a little, a little around noon. Um, when it's got its greatest extent. So of telescopes outside, folks can get tickets, buy tickets as we, as you always can ahead of time to visit the Adler that day. Uh, but if you just want to come outside and, and hang out with us, look through a telescope, um, take a picture, uh, uh, get a pair, uh, get a solar viewer so you can see the sun safely. Um, we'll have all sorts of opportunities like that um, on the day of. So that's uh, Saturday, October 14th, 2023, a Monday, April 8th, 2024. That one will, um, will feature 94% of the sun covered by the moon uh, as seen from Chicago. And so uh, folks want to join us that day, too. That eclipse will be more in the afternoon. Um, so just check our website as to when exactly the events will happen. And uh, But again, I encourage folks, uh, when they go on sale, buy tickets to visit the Adler itself because we'll have all our shows running, as we always do. We'll have a temporary exhibit about chasing eclipses, um, other stuff going on. So it's going to be a lot of fun. Well, you're part of the museum complex uh, with the Field Museum, the aquarium, the Shedd Aquarium, and the Adler Planetarium. You're probably, by size, the smallest, but I think the most powerful. <laughs> you know, it, it uh, really makes you feel small when you go inside there to see uh, how we fit in context in this uh, universe. So, Michelle, you're, you're, I love having you on the show. You're filled with passion. You love your job and you, you do, you know, fascinated work. So thank you for joining us and come on anytime you have some, uh, something newsworthy. I would love to. Thank you so much. That's Michelle Nichols, Director of Public Observing at Chicago's Adler Planetarium, providing an update on the great programs being offered. I'm Robert Colangelo. Thank you for listening to Green Sense and check out the Green Sense Minute every Thursday and Saturday on 105.9 FM WBBM Chicago and visit the GreenSenseShow.com website to learn more about sponsorship. Green Sense Show is sponsored by CEA Technology, providing a sustainable modular indoor growing system. Visit C-E-A-T-E-C-H-N dot com to learn more.